Good morning. My name is Pastor Eric. I am the children's pastor here at Christ Community Wesleyan Church. If we haven't met yet, it's wonderful to meet you in a crowd setting. I won't remember all of your names at this very moment, so don't shout them out. Um, pastor Steve said, hey, you know what? You're gonna, what if you went up and got to talk this Sunday for a few minutes? And I am super excited to get to do that. This is Family Sunday, and so what that means is on the fifth Sunday of the month, we're going to have family worship. We're having the kids in here. We do have nursery if you have an infant and you, you need that. There is nursery. But we want the kids to not only have an opportunity to watch us worship through song, but worship through the message to be able to have uh, conversations this afternoon with your kids to say, what did Pastor Steve talk about? And what did that mean? And what does that look like? And, um, and so I am excited about Family Sunday for that reason. It's not just uh, us throwing your kids in here because we don't want to watch them. Because we have so much more fun in there than just watching them. And, and I, I love the op- every opportunity to preach the gospel to your kids. But to be able to experience worship with other adults, generational worship, uh, is so vastly important that we decided to, to do it right, to try it out on the fifth Sundays of the month to try out family worship. So that means if you don't have kids and you haven't had kids for a long time, there are some in here, and hopefully they don't distract you. Hopefully you can see that the reason they're in here is because we see it as another tool to build the kingdom, to ready these kids to be the church of now, the church of tomorrow, um, and so that's why they're in here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's jump into it. Help me out. So the first siblings are the Moser kids, Eva and Ashton, Eva and Ashton. So I've asked them to come up and do me a favor. So we have blue and green Play-Doh. Choose whichever one you want. And they're going to create something out of Play-Doh. And so Ashton is going to create a a person, kind of a self-portrait. If you want to make him so he could stand up, so he could see people, that would be lovely. You could set him on the edge like this, his legs hanging over. You know what I'm saying? Just so he can enjoy the service and what's going on. And Eva, you are going to make what, what you think or what you, what you have thought about the, the image of God would look like. What does God look like if you were going to make him out of Play-Doh? So enjoy. The beard's going to be very long, I imagine. Um, what do you think the image... All right, go ahead and start. Whenever you're ready, you can start. Um, but what do you think the image of God would look like? I was thinking about that just this week and, and thinking about sometimes when we're in certain seasons... We see God as X or Y. So, for instance, um, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, or the King of Kings, or the Lord of Lords, or the, the Great I Am, or the Provider, or the Healer, or when we're in times of need, we, we might see God as the Provider. When I was a kid and we were living, uh, my dad had retired from the Army and then promptly lost the job that he had as a civilian that was about to start before it even started. And uh, so we were really struggling financially for a long time. And I really got to see the Lord provider during that time. We had groceries show up on our doorstep randomly, just bags of groceries. Or um, I remember going to the store with my mom, and I didn't know she didn't have any money till we got there. We had zero dollars. And God told her to go to the grocery store. And while we were in the grocery store, she found a $100 bill. She's putting groceries in her cart with zero dollars. And she found a $100 bill. The Lord provider. So sometimes the, what we, what we see, need from God or who we, who we, what we want from God at that time or, or what we think we need from God kind of 
maybe changes what we, what we think God might look like. Um, I'm going to pull up this that was supposed to zero. Password wasn't supposed to be on. <laughs> How's it coming? Okay, it's not really bad. It's quite lovely. Terrible. You have a ball. I'm assuming that's the head. Make it a big head like yours, Ashton. Good. I'm just joking. I'm just joking very much so. We're going to look at the book of Genesis uh, today, and we're going to look at, uh, at, at who God was, who God is today and now, and what it looked like as God Created As God created, in Genesis chapter 127, it says, God created man in his own image. God created man in his own image. And sometimes I think, especially when we're kids, we think that that means that we just look like God, that God must have two arms and two legs and this wonderful, beautiful face that I have, right? He must look exactly like that. But it's so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. God has choices. God has free will. We're the only creature in creation with the ability to process thought in the way that we do and, and to experience multiple choices. And we, God created us, kids, to worship with him, to fellowship with him, and to worship with him. And then he gave us the choice to choose not to. That is what love is. To say, I'm not going to control you. God could have controlled us and said he, he's going to control the way that we as humans interact with him. And instead he said, I want this relationship to be real. And I want this relationship to be love. And I want to show you how much I love you. So in the image of God, you're going to have free will. And you're going to have choices. And you're going to have a capacity to love that is greater than any other animal in the animal kingdom. And then second would be dogs probably. I think they're probably second. Dogs are pretty good at loving people. This is quite lovely. It's looking very good over here. There's actually appendages. This is going swimmingly, swimmingly, swimmingly. Um, in Psalm 139, and I love that you're, as you're making your Lego guy, just from Psalm 139, when, um, when the psalmist writes that God knit us together when we were in our mother's womb. Kids, God intentionally put you together in the order he put you together with the personality he wanted you to have and the skills he knew you were going to need and he made you beautiful and funny and short or tall, red hair or brown hair or blonde hair, green eyes or brown eyes or blue eyes. God knit you together to be the special you that you are so that you could honor him and worship with him in a completely unique and new and original way. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 is where we're going to jump to as we, as we finish up this guy here. We're going to finish up this guy. But there's this, um, there's this verse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God has created Adam out of the dust. Kids, did you know that God created Adam out of dirt? He got in the dirt. I picture God in the dirt playing and just building Adam. Almost like you might at the beach when you make a sandcastle and you get to create this castle. God spent time creating Adam out of the dust and he formed him together and made human people. He made us out of nothing, out of nothingness, because God is a creator who constantly creates and restores and refreshes. This is looking very good. I think he looks good. What else do you have to add to him? Oh, the beard. All right. 
He needs a beard. God's almost ready. You're going to have to put your Frankenstein together. He's in pieces on the table. It's going to be very hard for this guy to come to life without all of it. I love it. Arms, legs. Kids, do you think that his Lego, this Lego, this Play-Doh guy could come to life? That this Play-Doh guy, that Ashton could make this Play-Doh guy and that Play-Doh guy would get up and talk and walk and jump around on the table? That would be super impressive. Um, we had a magician, uh, uh, an illusionist, <laughs> an illusionist uh, come recently for the kids. And my dad is an illusionist. And so I was thinking maybe if I put a curtain over it and I said some abracadabras, maybe we could bring him to life. Probably not. But it says that God made Adam out of dirt and out of nothingness. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man. He made him out of the dust of the ground, and God breathed the breath of life into him. And the man became a living person. It says God breathed the breath of life. The NIV says God breathed the, his, his breath into the nostrils of Adam. The very breath of God, the very voice of God, the very same air that said, let there be light, breathed into this lifeless form that he made out of the dirt and made him a man. And so what I, my point, what I wanted to point out and what I wanted to say as I jump off and Pastor Steve comes up, what I wanted to say to all of you kids, what I wanted to say to you is that because the breath of God created you, the breath of God resides in you. And when you ask Jesus into your heart, the breath of God transforms those around you. We don't, I don't, I can't tell this Plato guy to get up and walk unless, if God told me to, this thing would get up and walk because the breath of God resides in us. We have the power to create and also to tear down with our words. We can encourage or we can destroy because the breath of God resides in us. The way that we build up is so vastly important. And so I would say this, kids. I would challenge you with this. This week, think about how to give God his breath back. What I mean by that is the breath of God is in you. And the breath of God gave you life. So let's use the breath of God to give it back to him, to sing praises to him like we did at the beginning of service, to thank him, to worship him, to tell our friends about Jesus, to invite our friends to church or to the trunk or treat that we just had, events like that. It's our job as Christians, when we ask Jesus into our heart, it's our job to take the breath of God and spread it as far as we can, to share it with anyone that we can. God created you from nothing and breathed life into you. It's our turn to breathe life into those around us. New life, restoring life, living eternal life, a life with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We can do it. All right, are we ready? No. To reveal, we're going to have to. We're like, we're out of time. He's going to have to be halfway done. I'll have to tell my second service people. They got to. I got to put my eyes on it. Okay, eyes, and then we're done. This is beautiful. I'm gonna, can we set him up sure. while you make that? Yeah. Okay, this is God. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's quite beautiful. We're going to set him like that, maybe. He's going to fall over. 
should have used some hymnals. Stay. Stay. Okay. We lost them. Why did I choose? I don't know. You ready? No. It looks just like you, though. It's, it's not identical. It is blue like your shirt. That was coincidence. Yeah, his, his left leg is a little fragile. So uh, he's probably uh, wheelchair bound. Uh, but this is, this is our guy. Yes, quite lovely. Here, put that in there and let's see if that will prop him up. All right, thank you. Oh, perfect. You can have a seat. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Give him a huge hand. Stay like that. Okay. Like that, sort of. All right, as Pastor Steve comes up, I'm going to leave these guys here for you guys. God formed Adam out of nothing and breathed his breath into him. Let's give God his breath back. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Eric. Thank you, uh, Ashton. And, you know, Eva, if if it was the hurt leg, you should have been the one doing this side, right? These are, are awesome. Um, as Pastor Eric talked about when we began, he, he started in the beginning, in the beginning of everything, recognizing that God is the beginning. Today I want to look specifically at a journey, and over the course of the next 20 minutes, we're going to walk through this journey together, and the first three parts are specifically linear, the last one is kind of cyclical, but as we walk through it, I want to kind of understand, I want us to understand together, whether you are in here and you are in preschool or you've heard the the story, the gospel a million times and you've gone to church your whole life, wherever you are, let us receive this word as a fresh and anew. Because not only are you receiving it today by yourself, but you're also receiving it in conjunction corporately with those that maybe there's three, maybe four generations in this room. And it's an opportunity for you to be able to see it with fresh eyes so that you might have a conversation later with a friend or a family member that's in this room about who God is and what he calls us specifically to. We'll start in the beginning as well. And I'll, I'll re-up a couple of things here as, as it pertains to the scripture in, in general. Genesis chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So right now, this is actually similar. It's kind of hovering a little bit the way that he's sitting here. But this is God. He's the only one that exists at this point. Nothing else. You and I don't exist. Uh, This this, uh, human over here doesn't exist. It's just God. Then jumping down after he created plants and animals and planets and and everything that we see to verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that, the, that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and then the one specific thing that's different from all the other creation accounts, all that he had made, and he said it was very good. The rest were just good. This was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning 
on the sixth day. And the start of it is this. The first point of the journey is creation. Who is God? Creation is the start. Who is God? Well, let's just say, as we read here, we recognize that he is God and I am not. He is God and you are not. Started with God, the creator of all. So here is God. It looks like he fell over. He's already onto the seventh day. He's resting, right? So right here we see God in his, in his form. We see God as the creator of all, the beginning of all, the one who is in all and created all through his own power as he spoke things into existence. God is the creator of all. And then he created this, uh, this man over here who uh, he gave, as Pastor Eric said, the breath of life. He gave a spirit and a soul beyond just being able to walk and talk and breathe. He also has this thing that's deeper that animals don't have, right? Which is a spirit, an eternal spirit that has the ability to be able to respond to him. And the first point under that is this. God is the creator of all things, including you and me. God is the creator of all things, including you and me. Within this, I, I recognize now that we had uh, one child come up and create God. And that obviously, if you look at all illustrations, at some point they do break down. We don't create God, obviously. Uh, this is just simply an illustration to start. But let me just ask you for a moment to indulge this. Whether you're a child or a teen or an adult in the room, there's a little bit of space, not a whole lot. If you want to use the back of a Connect card, you can do this as well. As we continue through the next few minutes of this, of this sermon, take a moment to draw a picture of what you think God looks like. What does God look like? Maybe for some, it'll be something, you know, just kind of out there. Just, you know, it's, it's, it's mystical and I can't really nail him down. So you draw, you know, stars or I don't know. Maybe for you, you draw a person and you draw a person with a beard, right? Which I'm sure God has a beard, right? That's, that's kind of the case. Maybe you draw, you know, a, 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 an image of, of what you think Jesus looks like, but take a moment and draw. And I, I'm serious. I'm serious. Even those of you who think, well, I don't have any artistic skills. I don't either. But take a moment to draw, as we're, we're walking through this, to draw what God looks like. So first is the creation, the start. And then on to the second point. We'll jump to uh, chapter 3 uh, of Genesis. There's two chapters of bliss, two chapters of happiness, two chapters in, in, the, in, the, in the garden where God and, and his creation live in harmony. And then things change. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was the most crafty, it was more crafty than any of the, of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we see already that Satan is attempting to twist the truth and to manipulate this woman who has allowed this foothold as she's even engaging in conversation with the serpent. Verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also, desired, desired, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Right here we see just the, and this is so interesting when we think about the concept of works righteousness, meaning I'm going to try to work hard so that God is happy with me, or I'm going to try to work my way into the kingdom. The first thing that they did wasn't, hey God, we messed up, please help us. Instead, it was, let's try to take care of this ourselves by, by covering up our nakedness, by fixing our issue on our own. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And as it continues from here, and we'll, we'll pick back up in a moment, as it continues from here, we recognize the fact that these two created beings, created in the perfect garden, the ones who were there, who were with God, had created a separation, which if I had an extra hand, I've got my Bible here, if I had an extra hand, I would, I would have put these together and separated them because that's what took place. There was a separation between God and humanity because they could not be in the presence of a holy God because of the sin that was in their life. And we read this as a historical account of what actually took place, but the reality is that it's still, uh, it's still applicable today in our lives. When we are born, we are born into a sin nature because we have the seed of Adam. We have the, the, the vein of a, of, a, of a fallen and broken individual. And because of that, there has to be some other way. The point underneath this one is, is simply that the unhappiness, the brokenness, the darkness we see in the world as a result of our sin. Humans ushered sin into the world. And that created the separation. That created a separation from God, the creator of all, the, the one perfect and holy being, and his creation. The one who said, I think I can do this better. I, I think, I, I, I believe and I'm going to act upon my own work. I, I think that God is, is good and he's going to be okay with this little bit of sin and all the other lies that we simply tell ourselves. When I was younger, I, I never really gave my parents fits. And I, I'll be honest with that. My parents visit from time to time. You can ask them that. And from time to time, I did uh, do something that I recognized was not, um, not, not what I should have done. I knew that when we went to uh, a family member's house or a friend's house that we shouldn't run in the house. I knew that. And I remember one specific time when we were at a, a family member's house and we decided, me and, and several of my cousins, that we were going to play tag, Right? Uh, just a, a, a very healthy, very fun game of tag. And we started outside and eventually we recognized, hey, okay, tag's fun, but hide and seek tag is more fun. And as we looked around, we recognized that, hey, the best spots to hide are in the house. And so eventually we're playing hide and seek tag and I'm in the house and I'm running something I knew I shouldn't have done. And I get in trouble. I get punished. And the first thing that my parents did, which, and, and I'm, I'm telling you this honestly, the first thing that my parents did was, okay, you're going to have to sit over here and you don't get to participate. You don't get to play anymore. You don't get to do anything. The problem with the, where they had me sit was it was kind of in the main hallway, right off the main hallway where everybody would walk and everybody would walk by and they would see me sitting there. And I thought to myself, oh no, everyone's going to know that I did something wrong, especially something I knew I shouldn't have done. And so I found myself sitting there thinking, okay, what can I do so that no one will, okay, uh, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. And I remember getting down, maybe uh, some of you children have done this before. I remember getting down like on one knee and kind of like peering around the corner every so often. 
And the reason I did this, it kind of burned into my memory, the reason I did this is so that when people would come by, my, my family or whoever it might be that was visiting, when they would come by, they'd see me, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm just hiding, I'm getting ready to spring into action. When in essence, all I was doing was trying to cover up my sin and the consequence of my sin. Let me just tell you, whether you're an adult or, or, a, or a student or whether you're a child in the room, you can't cover up your sin from God. That separation exists between you. And the good thing is, the good thing is, as we move into this next point, there's nothing you can do about it. Right? There's nothing you can do about it because God already has made a way. On Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, it reads like this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because of what you have, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And here's in verse 15, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And right here, if you're reading this, you're kind of maybe wondering, well, what does that have to do with, with what, what God has already done for us? Let me just say, this is a foreshadowing of what we already know happens, which is that Jesus is going to die on the cross. Right? And what Satan meant for ill will, what Satan meant to eliminate the way to get at God, ended up being the catalyst or, or the avenue or the one thing that God used to be able to bring redemption or what the next point is, well, that is redemption for all of us. Which means he brings us back into the presence of God. He gives us the opportunity to be able to live with God, for, for God and humanity to, to, to have a, a, a land bridge, so to speak, where they can live together. I'm going to try to move this. Hopefully it doesn't just get destroyed. If it does, God will, God will heal, right? And he puts his arm around, and, and right here, the two live together. And we recognize that it's not a separation that has to continue here in this world or into eternity, but instead because of Jesus and his action of obedience to say yes, we can live in the presence of a holy God. That's the good news. In fact, let me just read these three specific points that go off of that. The good news is this, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who has no sin, Jesus, to be the sin for us. He took our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of God's action, we can be in his righteousness. We can be in his presence. Not because of something we can do or because of enough apologies or because we pay enough to, to, to our parents or to the, to the church or to whatever it might be. But instead, it's because we recognize the cross and we engage in it. Because there is a response for us. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and punished, and, and that brought us peace was... And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Because our, our God, our Savior Jesus, was crucified, we are saved. And then finally, sin doesn't just make us bad. It makes us dead. Sin doesn't just make us bad. It makes us dead. When we are born into sin, we are actually dead creations. We're created and we're, we're talking and we're breathing, but we are literally dead. In, in, in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, it reads like this. When you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the, ch the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. 
He has taken it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In essence, the same thing that took place in Genesis 2 that Pastor Eric was talking about, this reality that that God breathed life into Adam and Eve, is the same thing that takes place when we receive salvation from our Savior. Because we are dead in sin, now he breathes life into us. I don't know what's going on with the lighting. Don't be distracted. Let me just say, that is, that is, that's, honestly, that's what Satan does. He wants you to be distracted, especially now during this pivotal point is talking about redemption. He recognizes that there's real, a real battle at play and he wants to win because he hates God. And because we're created in God's image, he hates you too. And so now as we sit and stand in this place, in this this moment where we come together, may you not be distracted, but may you hear the voice of God as he calls you in your next step. He died on our behalf that there is nothing that we cannot do, or nothing nothing that we can say, nothing that we can do that can keep his blood from forgiving us. Let's jump back to that picture for a minute. Some of you who indulged me and drew a picture, raise your hand if you drew a picture earlier on. A few of you, okay. I, I want to encourage the rest of you to do this as well, and I'm going to give you just a little bit of information now that might help guide you a little bit. When you drew that picture, sometimes there's a representation there where the picture tends to look a little bit like us, right? Right. If, if we look at this image right here, that does not look like Eva. She is beautiful. This is um, it's a creation, but there's a beard on it. She doesn't have a beard. Looks like there's maybe a crown here. She doesn't have a crown on, not right now at least. But what tends to happen from time to time in our lives is that we, we, we create God in our own, own image. Or we ask God, yes, we want, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. But what ends up happening is we say, okay, I'm still going to be line leader. Any, any children here like to be line leader when it's your turn? I'm still going to be line leader. You just jump in line and, and, and I'm going to lead the way. And what God calls us to through the, through the understanding of, of following the person of Jesus is that he becomes our driver. He becomes our line leader. And as we follow him and as we allow him to change us, we jump into that fourth and final portion. Actually, I, I missed a point. We are free from our consequences of sin. Get this, you are free if you accept Jesus as your Savior. If you, if, you, if you express that you are a sinner and you accept him as your Savior and your Lord, you are free from the consequences of sin. You are in the presence of God. But the resurrection is just the first step. The second step and the last point is under this uh, understanding of what Genesis is all about. In chapter 3, verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of, of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed him. Now, this, this might not seem like it stands out too much. Let's just say two things from this specific verse. The first one is this, that God made the garments, right? The second one is this, that if he made garments from skin, that means some animal that he created, that he created perfect and, and blameless, had to lose its life for them. For their sin. A foreshadowing of what's to take place in the New Testament when we read about Jesus who had to lose his life for us. And the Lord God said, the man, was now, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. 
He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So at this point, you can, you, because of your consequences, there's still, or because of your actions, there's still going to be some consequences uh, that you'll have to live, uh, live by and live as a result of. So the, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed a, on the east side a, a garden of Eden, a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So here we see, now this is pre-crucifixion, here we see that there was a separation and God said, look, you can't be in my presence anymore. But through the redemption and through the next point, which is restoration, the fourth point, restoration, we recognize that it's not just about receiving Jesus so that we can live with him or so that we can have a good life, but it's so much deeper than that. In fact, the point is this, we get to live with Jesus now and forever. We get to live in relationship with the creator, with the one who died for us, the one who loves us so much. We get to live in a place that's not too much unlike the one that was originally created, where it's perfect. And here on earth, we see that the issues, we see those things. But when we pass from this life into eternity, should we know Jesus, we pass into a place, a, a, a recognition, a, a holy place where we're in the presence of our God. The sword of God's judgment stood between fallen humanity and God's garden. This is the reason we see in verse 22. Only through God's redemption is Christ, in Christ do sinners have access again to the tree of life. Perhaps you know the lyric, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. The God who loves us, the God who created us, the God who created a way for us so that we might be able to be in his presence once again, wants to have an intimate relationship with every man, woman, student, and child in this room and beyond. He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to calm the, the nerves and the stress you have. He wants to heal the physical and the relational and the emotional issues you're walking through. And spiritually, he wants to bring forth an opportunity for you to, to live in the presence of a holy God. So why does all this matter? This matters in response to this journey because God wants us to take a spiritual step. In all aspects, whenever the word is read, whenever we engage in the Holy Spirit, he wants us to take some step in our faith and in our life. And so here's the, the, the main challenge for this journey. Recognizing that I, I haven't had a conversation with every person in here about where you're at on your journey, what you've experienced, what you recognize, I do know that God has a plan for you. And today in this room, you're not here on accident. You're not joining us online on accident. God has a plan for you. If you're following along in your note guide, I'm going to give you these four notes right now, and you can write them down as I, as I set up this, this response moment. God has and is doing his part. He's done his part through sending Jesus, and he continues to do so through restoration. But there is a part that we play in this as well, and that is the acceptance of that. And the first one is to, to acknowledge that God is God. When it comes to creation, if we don't fundamentally realize that God is the creator of the world and we are not, we allow him to be the one that, that, that owns all and is in all and that leads all. If we don't do that, then we're not really going to be able to go anywhere. The second thing is recognition. Recognize that sin is a separation in your life. Sin, the, the sin that you either committed physically yourself or that you were just simply born into is the separation between you and God. 
I'd lift these up and separate them, but I, I hesitate to do so. I don't want them to fall apart, but I want us to keep this mental picture of these two together because the third one is this, confess your sin and receive Jesus as your Savior. That is the ultimate decision. When we look at fault lines and we conclude this series together, each one of these four could be a fault line. Creation of the world was a fault line ultimately. The fall was a huge fault line that we still had the ramifications from that we have to live through. The, this, this moment of confession is a real fault line where we experience a fresh and a new, where we experience a new life, where we receive eternal life, and then we can be in the presence of God. And then finally, live with Jesus and commit to growing in holiness. There's some that believe that, oh, well, once I, once I become a Christian, once I accept Jesus in my heart, I'll just kind of float along until I get to heaven. No, God wants so much more for you here on this earth and in eternity. In fact, I think it's, it's maybe... Maybe it it's, goes without saying, but if you don't follow Jesus, if you don't want to become more like him, did you really make a decision to begin with? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do as a, as a response. And I, I don't know who you came with today. I don't know who's in here right now. But what I want to do is this. I want you to take a moment, just a second. I want you to, to stand and to gather with either family that you came with, maybe some close friends, maybe just your spouse, whoever it might be. But don't let anybody, nobody's allowed to be left out. If you're in this room and you're by yourself, I want you to jump in with another group, invite them in. If you're, if you're joining from home, you can call somebody right now, FaceTime them if you're able to do so, or we can engage uh, even throughout the week if you're watching. But I want everybody to be together because what we're going to do is this. We're going to pray together. Pray a blessing over our families. Obviously, this is being Family Fifth Sunday. We're going to pray a blessing over each marriage here and in this time we can have together. But at the same time, whoever you get together with today, I want you to make kind of a commitment together that you are going to have the conversation to at least share with your group members, with the people that are in your group or the person that's in your group with you, where you are on this list. Answer questions, have discussion, have dialogue, and then prayerfully consider taking the next spiritual step that God is calling you to. If you need an invitation to take the next step, maybe from, from acknowledgement to recognition, maybe from recognition, that crucial step into confession, or maybe confession into living, whatever it might be, wherever you are, this is your invitation. I believe the Spirit's given me the opportunity this morning to be His mouthpiece, and that is part of it. This is your invitation to take the next spiritual step with God. So would you take a moment to stand and, and to gather together with a few, gather with your family, whoever it might be, as we take a moment to, to close in prayer together. If you, if you look around, you see someone by themselves, don't, don't let them stay by themselves. Invite them into your group, invite them together. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity we have to freely come to worship and to praise you. God, we have so much to praise you for and so much to worship you for. Your nature, you are a good God. You are a loving God. At the same time, because of that, your response is to give us opportunity to be able to experience you, Father. And God, as we come here, we do so in, in smaller groups or we join online in, in, in couples, whatever it might be, or maybe we're here individually, but we have a, a network outside of this room. God, I pray that this would be the moment among others where we take a step forward in response, God, and however you've called us to do so. 
And I pray for a blessing, a hedge of protection around families and around marriages. God, I pray that you would be the center of all relationship with coworkers and with neighbors and with fellow students and whoever it might be, God, that you would be the center, that you would continue, God, to work and to be at work. God, we pray this morning that as you have granted us the opportunity to clearly see these four steps, and as, as, as Pastor Eric talked about, as these children came up and so easily illustrated, God, you created us. You love us. And only for us to sin, not two chapters later, but then, God, you give us a, a redemption, a, 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 an opportunity, Father, that only you can grant for us to be able to experience you. May we not leave this place. May we not conclude a conversation. May we not stop this prayer, Father, until you, until we've expressed a confession, until you have given us the opportunity to be able to experience you. And God, how awesome is it that, that it's not over, but instead, God, you continue through this, this idea, this time of us stepping forward and growing in faith. And I pray for each person here, each person joining online, that you would help us, God, to have the courage to have the conversation, to step up, God, to be encouraged and convicted, to say yes to you and yes to your word. May we be filled by your hope. May we go from this place encouraged and, and on fire because of who you are. I pray for conversations that will take place in this building and at the lunch table and at the dinner table this, the rest of this day and throughout this week. God, may you be present. May you change lives. May you, Father, be uh, ultimately uh, praised and worshiped in all things. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for what you do. In your son's name we pray. When the fault lines of life take place, may they serve as a means for spiritual growth as you turn, turn to and rely upon the good and faithful Lord God, our Savior. Go this week in peace. Go encouraged. Go on mission.